I hate Ronald Reagan from the deepest part of my body. Like I hate him with every fiber of my being. If I could kill him with my bare hands again, I would do it. Hey, and welcome to our next episode of Third Eye Thoughts. We'd love to hear it, love to see your faces. Um, so I would just like to start off by saying trigger warning, heavy, heavy trigger warnings. We will be talking about addiction, drugs, um, depression, anxiety, all those things. So uh, yeah, if that's not, not your cup of tea or it's not going to sit right with you, then do what you got to do. We will not blame you. Um, but here we go. Leave now. No, right. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Or, or maybe if it's super relevant for you, then like listen and have an opinion. But also don't hurt yourself. That was not helpful advice. You're welcome. My viewers. <laughs> General lesson in, in life, you know, if it's don't hurt yourself. Yes. Yeah. Do what you gotta do. Mm-hmm. And on that note, Shimona, would you like to start? <laughs> yes. Okay. So getting started on just uh it's kind of funny. I feel a little bit of a fraud starting off this topic because I feel like I know pretty much close to nothing about most things involving drugs, <laughs> but <laughs> typically like history wise, I think I, there's a lot I need to brush up on, which sugar will definitely help in that area. I'm aware that like there, there was a drug war and it's kind of still going and something with like America funding something. Yeah, but anyways, um, so there's two videos in particular that I thought were going to be really helpful for this episode, and I'll start off by talking about the first one, which is just generally about what makes someone get addicted, like what causes addiction, and specifically around drug use and why people get addicted to drugs, and I don't think the video is like this all-encompassing if you just follow these set of guidelines then you will not you can do heroin and you won't get addicted like I don't think you should take it like that it's just more of a a pattern that uh, scientists saw that they thought was interesting so there's this guy how do you say his name does anyone know how to say his name is it Johan Hurry it's German right it sounded very German I feel like he's a Johan. Yeah, okay. So Johan it. Yeah, I really- LOL, I was on mute that entire time. <laughs> it's it's Johan. Johan, okay. So he is a author, researcher, scientist, I guess you could say. Um, but I discovered him through my sister who's read his book, which is called Chasing the Scream. And it's all about the war on drugs and addiction and all that stuff. And then I eventually watched his TED talk that did a good job of like introducing the book. And he talked about how, was it, I think the Vietnam War where 
uh, I didn't rewatch the videos, but it was, I think, yeah, it was the Vietnam War where a bunch of the US troops abroad were doing what drug? Heroin? Cocaine? Yeah, they were doing heroin. heroin. Yeah. Yeah. And then news got back to America that a bunch of US soldiers were doing heroin in Vietnam and everybody was kind of freaking out because they're like, oh no, when they come back, we're going to have a bunch of like druggies all over and it's going to be a mess, right? And then the soldiers come back and there is little to no problems of addiction. They kind of just came, went back to their life and readjusted totally fine. Well, I mean, I'm sure they had like other complications, but for the most part, there wasn't like an issue with heroin as much anymore. And so they were kind of like, okay, that's weird. Why would, why would this connection to the drug not continue just because the, like what changed basically? And they found out that, well, the reason why they were doing the heroin, the heroin, <laughs> why they were, uh, this sounds so out of place. Um, why they were doing what they were doing in Vietnam was because a lot of the soldiers were under so much stress and they felt like this loss of connection and they didn't have, they basically, when you're under those kinds of severe physical and mental and psychological weaknesses and when you're basically being like brought to the extremes of humanity, uh, you're going to basically latch on to whatever you have that's gonna make you feel good. And then all of a sudden when they go home, they have their friends and their family, they have their back to maybe work that isn't soldier related. They have like meaning and purpose and other things. And then they started latching onto th those things and kind of finding um, meaning in more like healthier, sustainable ways. And so they didn't really need to continue that use for heroin. So that was like a groundbreaking thing that people realized about addiction because for so long up until that point, scientists always thought it's just the substance. Like if you take a substance, you will get addicted. Or they even thought it was more of like a personality thing. Like there are some communities or some ethnicities maybe like in a more like racially terrible way that are just more prone to being addicted or more likely to be involved in these things. But in reality, a lot of addiction is based off of your environment. And when you look at, when you think about addiction in general too, I think a lot of people just think of like alcohol, drugs, but everyone's addicted to something in some degree, whether that's Netflix or sugar, or I don't know, like how many likes you're getting on a picture or something. Everybody has something that kind of fuels them or makes them feel like, gives them a little bit of a high when they engage with it uh so like a guilty guilty pleasure yeah exactly um and so that's kind of that was the basis for a lot of johan's research that based off of what how you feel fulfilled and where you make sure you're driving your meaning things will addict you in different ways and a lot of it is actually under your control and I think this becomes controversial because, well, one, you're kind of, I like this approach because it gives, it puts the agency back to us where you do have, you, you can have a say in what you get attached to, but I think it becomes a little problematic when people are like, oh, well, not everybody is like that. Like, obviously some people just can't help being attached to certain things. And sure, there are like, you know, maybe people are like more 
psychologically more prone to addiction or something like that. But um, I think for the most part, like the research was really groundbreaking and he's continuing to talk about it, this general topic in other ways, but uh, yeah, that's like basically his take on drugs and addiction. And that's a, that will link the TED talk. It's a really good one. Yeah, we should definitely link that in our little information tree, our link tree. Yeah. Yes. So I'll put that one in and I'll put the um the Kurtzgesagt one because I really like how they animated it. But Kurtzgesagt and Johan collaborated. Kurtzgesagt is like this animation science teach you about shit, but also dumb it down enough where you understand kind of thing. Um so I like how they display information. So I'll, I'll link both of those. I'm sure everyone's seen a Kurtz Kazat video at their, some point in their life. I think I yeah. showed these videos to my students to explain like the North Atlantic slave trade. Oh, and it was really good. Oh, not, not to the slave trade. But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, like, to you teaching yourself. It so well, but it's still giving you the facts. It's not omitting information yeah yeah so it's it's not even like it's watering it down or like simplistically saying it like he still goes into depth but I don't know in a way that's comprehensible comprehensible words yeah really accessible I'm a big Kurtz Kazakh fan fan whoa my German was coming out (laughs) how do you say it Kurtz no, I just said it with a German accent. That's not how you say France. Oh. <laughs> or no, how do you say like their the name? Oh, Kurtzgesagt. And you got the R is like different. It's like Kurtzgesagt or some crazy shit that I can't even pronounce. R's are like a nightmare. They're, they're like, it's like from the back of your throat. Like, yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's really... I can't even say it in all words. I can say it in like some words, like Rathaus or something. Anyone who speaks German and is listening to me do this is like cringing. But um. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Oh, did you, you like? Did you feel like his stance on that on addiction was? Did he, how did you respond to it? Were you like, oh yeah, that makes sense, or were you kind of like, oh no, this is a little problematic? Well, I think I was mind blown the first because I saw that the addiction Kurtz Kazak video like years ago so like I kind of already had this in my head and I'm sure the first this was like literally freshman year of college so I don't even remember what my reaction was but I'm sure it was like whoa that makes sense or like just mind-blowing but I think his his take on it it does make sense like we're fed this um even like I took psych 1000 or whatever in high school which is like gives you so much information as a matter of fact way that like this is how it is and this is this is science and the research is done and it's all the only way that you that is correct in the textbook and it's like pretty much just like hearsay bullshit like they just it's like one dumbass scientist was like you know what because of this this is fact even though there's like no duplication or it's like this guy got a lot of government grants and like but like some politics were involved and then this has now like like fiction has become fact because of and this happens with like which we should definitely do an episode on all the like false information out there that is like presented as just like 
utter truth. But um, anyways, this this happens like a ton with psychological studies because it's so arbitrary. Like you can't for sure say that someone's brain works this way. You can't for sure say that it doesn't work this way. It's it's just there's like so much. What is it? We only know like ten percent of what the brain actually does. Is like is I don't know. And it's like addiction is one of those eluding things. Addiction, depressions, like anxiety. All these things are like there's so many theories and there's so many ways you can go about it. And it's like, it doesn't matter how many degrees you have, you don't know. And you probably will never know. We probably will never know in this lifetime how this works. That was my rant. Sorry guys. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, even just watching it, I was like, whether or not the science is true, I was, I, I related to it wholeheartedly. Like you just notice you're just pay attention to what you how you behave every day and like I if there's such a clear difference I see that of like the things that I gravitate to for comfort based off of what is happening in my life it's just there's no denying that right like based off of if I feel like I'm with around like family and friends versus like if I feel lonely or if I feel like a lot of stress at work or something like it's very it's like clearly a difference and things like fuel you in certain different ways and I think that's like no one can argue that so yeah and I think like that alone oh sorry go ahead sorry Um, talked a lot oh no you're good I was reflecting on how despite like the clear evidence that you know addiction is linked to like social isolation um and living in that really like lonely cage like was described in the video Um, that's the reason people turn towards using or turn towards like their addictions. It's not because, you know, they're inherently bad people. They're these criminals who like make bad choices. It's just like weird how our response to so many things is to just like put people in these neat boxes to explain away like criminal behavior instead of looking towards like the actual psychological reasons that people do things or you know, the scientific reasons, like someone has the gene that they inherited from their dad's side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really Me hope. Me agreeing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like why I get so frustrated. About. Like, I don't want to put my parents under the bus, but like sometimes they, and like, I think people of their generation too. Tend I did to, that already. <laughs> they tend to be like very... <laughs> Uh, like put people in categories and they're like oh if somebody did this and is like in jail for this reason and like it's their fault like they deserve mm-hmm. it or, like oh they- yeah like and it- and I'm yeah. like, are you kidding me like if you had even like half of the life experiences they had there's no telling where you'd be today it's not just like oh just pull yourself by the, by the bootstraps and like figure your way out of that city if you like grew up in a certain place with a certain family with a certain income like all those things factor into it and it's hard for people to just look at that and be like oh well, just get yourself out of it or like just change your mindset like it's just that's not even in their realm of, of thinking I think also we want to believe that these problems like can't come near you as an individual like we want we want to keep like put some distance between us and that so we say well this person has an addictive personality that's why they are get addicted like we want to say but like something that like wouldn't relate to us 
so that we can kind of like save ourselves from from that i don't think we want to empathize with oh, these people yeah that's a really yeah. good point if you want to separate and be like well that's why i'm having to me because that's i don't have that yeah exactly yeah like, so okay. to like rationalize it mm-hmm. sorry like the holier than thou attitude you know i don't want to yeah. like name names of religions or anything but i think we've all met or know of people who they're like, okay, you don't have to believe my religion or what I believe, but, you know, I still kind of think you're going to hell for it, you know? Yeah. Well, what religion you. would you possibly be talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> uh, back to a lighter also, topic. Drugs. Or just, um, Shimona mentioned, like, I think about this a lot, how we all have our own little addictions, like the things that we use to fill a gap in our lives or feel like some kind of bonding to something, you know, when we don't get that from like a sense of community, the people around us. And I, I feel like there are things in our culture that like are normalized and not really seen as addiction and like the negative sense, you know, like caffeine. I feel like everyone is addicted to caffeine, but we don't talk about that. Yo, I am fully addicted to netflix or like yeah like streaming services like fully i have told like shimona this on multiple occasions i was like i literally have a problem like i will leave the apartment to like do something fun and within five minutes of it i'm just like literally counting the seconds down until i can like sit on my bed and watch tv again like i i watch it every single day sometimes i can't even like fall asleep without it like i need it even just like softly in the background if this is not an addiction i don't know what it Yet, I am still somehow seen as like a functioning person in society. Wait, how did yeah sleeping was it fine for you to fall asleep in Portland without the TV? Yes, but you had Shimona with you. Maybe <laughs> what you really want is <laughs> a Shimona. I, yeah, Shimona is the only care to it. you, yay! <laughs> but honestly, well, they literally like reciprocal. Yeah, because, like, I definitely, like, Aww. it was definitely, uh, like, Jethro basically fulfilled, like, when you're with somebody 24-7 in the same bed all the time, which is what makes the same bed. Um, they're, like, fulfilling your best friend need, <laughs> like, just companionship in general. So, like, all the things that maybe I think about now or that I'm drawn to now, like, I wasn't thinking about at all in Portland because it was just, like, oh, work and then chitra and then like have fun like what can we do next and explore like that was it like my mind wasn't going anywhere yeah 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 exactly and I think it was it's also having like that outlet where when you have like intrusive thoughts or like something come up you like tell it to someone who is like sane and not the other person inside your head that's like yes what's wrong with you so I think it's like it's like companionship at its like very base form is like what we need like what he was saying in the TED talk where you need to have connections without like solid and constant connections you're going to be driven with this and if we think about like how society used to work where people were around their family 24 7 that was your only form of entertainment like you could not be alone now we have so many different ways of being alone too many different ways of being alone and I think that's also what's like and this is me wildly speculating because I have zero degrees um 
I think that is like a huge reason as to why maybe more than ever, maybe people are just talking about it more that we see people feeling more and more lonely, more and more isolated, depressed, addicted, all that. Shout out to ourselves. Right, because when we're alone, yeah, there are a lot of connections to our past episodes. Um, But yeah, you're so right. Like we're, even when we're alone, we're not really alone unless we're going off in the woods and we're just like cutting it cutting ourselves off from everything but no one does that you know if you're alone at home you have the internet you have I know even when you're like reading or you're writing, never alone but you're still alone. yeah it's like sorry <laughs> it's, all, it's almost like a high I think there's a delay yeah I know I think there is too but we're embracing it <laughs> it is it be what it be Sorry, continue. I'll stop talking. (laughs) Oh, no, you're good. But yeah, going back to addiction, I think there's not anything inherently wrong with someone who turns towards like drugs. I think it's just another form of, you know, not feeling alone when there are so many ways to be alone. That's my, that's. Which I think is actually a good segue into Shimona's second topic. Yes. So the second video also by the same author, this was like a few years after he released the first one. I think it was because he came out with another book or basically he was honing his research more in on why we feel, why depression and anxiety has become so prevalent, especially in Western countries in the past few years lately and also like not just me but I feel like I've been hearing this within the psych community that a lot of um we've had this problem of like people especially younger people like Gen Z this problem like over diagnosing because of like self-diagnosing I guess so there's a lot of people who are saying various things like ADD and OCD and, and depression and anxiety and all these things that are kind of people are just kind of like adding them as labels to themselves but these used to be at some point a very, very heavy term or like something that was like medically, only medically given to you by like a health professional who examined your brain and all these, all this other stuff. But um, basically what in the second TED talk, he talked about how there are most likely other, for obviously there are like chemical imbalances and that's like that's not something we can argue with. That's like, that's definitely something that is affecting people. And so like mental health and in that sense is like a very kind of can feel a little bit out of your control, but like definitely seek help and all that. But there is a large percentage of people who also are experiencing symptoms of depression and anxiety or are like diagnosing themselves in, in that way. But it's due to factors that they do have control over and they maybe just don't realize it. And uh, a lot of those reasons tie back to what he was saying about why people get addicted. And he had this one really good line. Uh, actually, I think I wrote it down somewhere. Two, I just remember. So one was uh, people often say that to somebody who's like feeling, feeling a little bit down or feeling like a little out of it or, or sad, let's say, that you should just like be you or do you or like, kind of like find your own identity, find yourself. But 
what he finds is instead you should say be us be we like go back get back into your community get back into your roots like the people that made you feel whole and humble and sane um like connect back to those people and and those are really where like us being social beings like I think everyone knows this like if you isolate somebody they're gonna go insane eventually and so you really want to like I'm moving my hand so much (laughs) you really want to make sure you are staying aligned to yourself socially and what that means and it's not just like you're hanging out with people but like hanging out with the right people and like people that are uh, feeling you in right ways and just in general like feeling like you're part of a community is so important and that's something that um, along with the rise in depression and anxiety that he has noticed has there has been a decline of people feeling like they have close friends so in the past like I think like 15-20 years every year, year after year, people in Western countries are reporting that they have less and less close friends, less and less best friends, less and less people who they feel like they would reach out to like three in the morning if they were like really in trouble. And that used to be people could like easily name someone off the top of their head that they would reach out to like that. And many people are kind of like, I don't know if I have that or like, uh, there's also been which is kind of a good thing too. Like people are now being like, oh, well, I don't want to get married or I don't want, I don't want kids until I'm like way later or whatnot. But that's also keeping people single and kind of on their own and a little bit in that, that mixture of um, infinite, what did that, that word that I just sent in the chat? It was like uh, liquid, mo- liquid something. Uh, liquid modernity? Yes. Yeah, I think that's what it was. That? But yeah, so that is one thing that keeps us in that like weird phase of nobody, no one really feels like they need to like settle for anything anymore. And there's not like, uh, there was this like Quora post about this guy who was asking why has depression, anxiety risen lately? And he said, had this really good explanation that in this generation and, and this upcoming generation, for the first time, people have abandoned their tribes they've abandoned where for so long that they people have found meaning so usually for centuries and centuries people found meaning in religion they found meaning in being close to their family and their work which was typically something they didn't even really have to put that much thought into other than because it was kind of like pre-decided or you kind of went wherever you found a job or wherever maybe your family is working and now all of these things are no more so you can kind of live wherever date whoever watch whatever do whatever and and when you have all these options and all these like you're just kind of roaming aimlessly um your sense of identity feels a little bit chopped up and that can make people more more susceptible to these big corporations that then swoop in and make you feel like you're not enough or you're broken in some way and then people kind of feel like you know, you're basically going through these screens, going through these um, advertisements and subtle ways of people telling you that you're not good enough. And um, yeah, it's causing, that was basically like his summary for like why depression anxiety has been through the roof. But another great line he had was you're, I'm sorry. No, I am definitely on a lag, but um. I, I feel like that, that and also like the reverse of it where people are finding 
a lot of faults with other people and like not allowing other people to be their purpose or meaning in life which like maybe that is a bad thing you don't want like one single you don't want to put that much pressure on one single person but it's also I think creating this addiction to like constantly find someone better like constantly like be not satisfied with your friendships your relationships your jobs like like feeling like you're supposed to be attaining this like level of content perfection that like the media is presenting to you that exists but really doesn't because life is full of ups and downs and alones and togethers and you can't ever fully be satisfied um but yeah that was just adding to that continue sorry yeah no it's um you have that and then you have like you're constantly seeing other people's lives and comparing yourself to those and like oh maybe maybe this isn't the best I can do maybe this next job or this next person could be even better and that's just like wiping just mindlessly yeah that actually um if it is liquid modernity did you find out this liquid modernity strategy I don't know if I I should just look through the chat but that blew my mind when I realized that it that really is the epitome of where everything has gone towards like everything now has an infinite scroll in some capacity and it makes so much sense why we are in the state of mind that we are now when we we're just like overwhelmed junkies like all of us where we're just like ah like give me more of this we're addicted we're like addicted to it and it's so easy to because there's so many options but going off of that and specifically how it's these are corporations these are the ways that we've set up a society in a way that it's like making us so vulnerable and giving us all these options uh in the talk he mentioned he asked this professor he was working with if we know that valuing money or being vain is not sustainable why do we do these things and the professor said because we live in a machine that is designed to neglect what is important about life and this is something that I actually, this is like a theory that I came up with before I watched, like years ago, I think I was like college, like early college, where basically it like summarized capitalism, but I was like, huh, the best kind of citizen for a capitalist society is divorced, sad, angry, poor health, just in utter shambles about themselves and the world. Like that is like the perfect candidate for a capitalistic society. Because if you're divorced, you're gonna be paying a divorce lawyer. If you're, or if you're, if your relationship is in trouble, you're probably gonna be going to like a counseling, which again, you're giving back money to the economy. If your health is not good, you're giving back money to the, the medical, the, the big pharma, if you're, um, if you're upset about yourself, you're probably going to be like taking out via some purchases, like trying to make yourself feel better by like material possessions. Like it's all about how can we exploit you? And you're so much more exploitable if you're not, if you don't have a stable ground in who you are and your environment. And so it's a very weird, like, like I'm not someone who's like anti-capitalist, but I also feel like it's such a weird thing to balance because I, while I love the idea of, you know, being able to like the entrepreneurial spirit of the American economy, but it's also like, it's all because of some group of people needs to be 
at exploited exploited in order for that to be successful yeah so right even like if you think about the opioid crisis the fact that some people are hooked on to opiates because they went to a hospital for a totally unrelated reason and were given morphine and who profits off of their constant need for morphine big pharma so it really capitalism is like one big cycle <laughs> oh my god Chipper, your facial expressions <laughs> that should just i'm just past your facial expressions <laughs> yeah, i'm just agreeing excitedly <laughs> not i'm not excited about the opioid crisis i probably promise just excited about facts <laughs> yeah, I do love the facts. That's a solid segue. Oh, but uh, a last bit on what he said. Uh, so basically tie it all together. His main point is that your depression is not a malfunction. It's a signal. So whenever, and I think that's something you can expand to just anything you're feeling. Like whether if you find yourself like in this really happy flow state, <laughs> chipper with cooking, then that's a signal, you know, that's something there. You're like, don't just ignore that. Kind of be like, okay, wait, 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 I like this. I'm just making me happy. Like, how can I incorporate this more into my life? Or if you find yourself like around people who are just like, I don't know, like they're making me feel self-conscious or like a little bit uncomfortable, that's a signal. Listen to that. Maybe those aren't your people. Maybe that's not your tribe. So I think anything in general, like taking things as signals and not like, oh, something's wrong with my brain. That's not always the go-to. I think that's something that a lot of pharmacies would like to paint the picture of that like, okay, there's something like wrong with you. We need to fix you with like drugs or whatever. But a lot of this stuff you can like take into your own account. So that's all I think. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. Well done. I like that idea of a signal or, or just being aware and even when you're alone, instead of turning to like the instant cure for that loneliness, which like it's it's human nature. It's like the first thing that human beings want to do is to find an instant gratification, an instant cure. Um, but you know, there are there are things that can fulfill you in a way that doesn't also like take from you, you know. Yeah. It is and like on your point with capitalism, it's anti-capitalist to work on yourself yeah. that way yeah, yeah. like w- once which i will get to in the opioid crisis it hooking you on pharmaceuticals will keep you contributing to the economy indefinitely or you know well until you die probably from the drugs but uh anyways on that note uh so yeah the opioid crisis which i think is a term everyone is familiar with yet no one actually knows the origins of it or really talks about it in like our current diaspora for some reason it's like no no shade and honestly like I didn't know much about the opioid crisis until I saw a Netflix documentary and I was like and um they I'm trying to remember the name of it had pills in it you can find it pretty easily but it basically goes into like the this backstory of this like guy who grew up in rural America and like got hooked on opioids from this this like standard formula which is how it goes um a doctor a doctor with degrees that you're supposed to trust and I know this is a very controversial 
I think this is why people don't want to talk about the opioid crisis is mainly because when you hear that a doctor is giving you misinformation, it freaks you out because this is supposed to be the agency you go to to fix yourself. They're supposed to help you. They're not supposed to hurt you. And I think this like in, this basic part of the opioid crisis is what really scares people from learning about it or saying anything against it because it's like well if every like the core of everything is corrupt like especially the core of what's supposed to keep you breathing is corrupt like how do you fight that um and honestly this is like I mean this I want to say this is my opinion but these are all facts and there is something corrupt in the medical industry you can't deny that as much as we want to say trust your doctor go to your doctor like I mean, go to a doctor for sure. I'm not saying don't go to a doctor. Let's go make that clear. Um, but you don't have to trust everything your doctor says. You can go see multiple doctors. You can go Google shit because everything's on the internet. But also then, you know, you run problems with self-diagnosing and all this shit. So also, who the fuck am I? I don't have, I'm not in the medical field. So take this all with a green, green salt. <laughs> so that, is, that is my... Specifically with like American doctors, I think that's like a, a big um, thing. Yes. Okay, yes. Go to a European doctor. Yeah, I don't think like people in other countries feel this sense of like distrust with their doctors or like the medical industry. But I know like in America, people are definitely like, yeah. I'm not going to trust my doctor, which is so messed up. But Yeah, yeah. Which is like, I mean, I've said that for a very long time. And I know maybe a couple people who say that, but most of the people I know and maybe... This is also coming from a point of privilege because a lot of the people I know come from middle-class families. Um, they all think I'm crazy for not trusting doctors. And I'm like, but facts, like, I don't know. Don't trust your fucking doctor. Okay, sorry. I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll tell you why before you think I'm a crazy person, which I clearly am a little bit. Uh, so I'm going to just read these off of, so you don't have to listen to my dumbass, uh, where okay so this is drugabuse.gov all right i went with a .gov for this guy and okay so essentially this is explaining um how the opioid crisis stems from prescription drugs um and these are just numbers so there's no like real like explanation or is my video on or is that did that go away it went away oh did i just have a ridiculous face on okay no it was just weird like icon to see yeah oh okay cool um <clears throat> so i'll start roughly 21 to 29 percent of patients prescribed opioids for chronic pain misuse them that's like like 20 to 30 percent so that's like two or three out of every 10 people are misusing their prescribed drugs. Just let that sink in. Um, between eight and 12% of people using an opioid for chronic pain develop an opioid disorder. So that means like one out of 10 people are literally stuck with this opioid disorder on top of the chronic pain that they had and is the reason they were taking it, which is absolutely the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Like you took off Johnson and Johnson because it was giving like 
like what was it six percent not even no not six what like six people strokes out of like millions and then you're trying to tell me that it's chill to like give a lifelong like disordered addiction to people who are like already in pain because it what makes you money okay I'll stop ranting um an estimated four to six percent who misuse prescription opioids transition to heroin four to six percent okay about 80 percent of people who use heroin first misuse prescription opioids uh the likelihood of developing an opioid use disorder depends on many factors including length of time a person is prescribed to take opioids for acute pain and length of time that people continue taking opioids whether as prescribed or misused okay so those are like the facts um which i will link this entire article in the link tree so you can read for yourself you don't have to just listen to me because i get it you don't have to like you don't have to want to listen to people with aggressive opinions but uh here i am um so <laughs> so uh lost my train of thought mid-rant um reagan oh what are you gonna talk about reagan Brandon? oh shit okay yeah all right well hang on let me let me go more on the opioid. <laughs> so I think people are not really equating this entire crisis with how we're doing the exact same thing. And this is again very controversial. Not a lot of people are gonna be happy with this. We're doing the exact same things with antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication and Adderall, Ritalin, all of it. We're doing the exact same thing that we're doing with opioids. But we're not calling it the opioid crisis. I do. It's that's not in that umbrella for some fucking reason. But we are literally trajectoring into the same thing, the same fucking thing. And I know multiple people. I know three people personally who, and these are just people who are I've become close to and like felt comfortable with telling me that they like dealt with this so there's probably still I probably still even know more people but they have told me how like antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication and Adderall on top of all those has literally ruined their lives like like they went to a therapist which is what you're supposed to do right when you're not feeling well and I know one I don't want like obviously I'm not gonna see names but I know one instance where someone has not left their house in three years in three years because they're and it's like yes antidepressants can be life-saving depending on the circumstance but it can it's also at like this cost it's at a cost everything's at a cost so these are all band-aid fixes i'm not saying like no medication ever but if you cannot take unless you're like like have like very increased levels of like suicidal thoughts and things like that then you can't take antidepressants with no intention of getting off of them because that is like how you foster an addiction. And as much as we want to hope that your therapist has your best interest in mind, they are getting paid by pharmaceutical companies to push their drugs, which sounds like conspiracy theory, but I will link an article that is not from a conspiracy theory website, or I will try to, but um, because the facts are, America is very corrupt. And I'm like, I'm saying this is America. This is not all doctors, it's not all therapists. It's not like the medical industry is not supposed to be innately corrupt like this, 
but if you so if you go to Europe and things like that where you know every doctor is paid the same it might not be like look to like fucking communism or socialism to be like well this is the only way to do it otherwise we're stuck with the system like capitalism can have a balance doesn't have to be and it is and I didn't realize how much of capitalism would be involved in this discussion but here we are um so yeah that was my very controversial but a lot of emotion opinion on this topic anyone have any thoughts is there a way to find out if your therapist is connected somehow to like pharma or you just kind of have to like hope you get one so (laughs) there so there's actually a difference between I hang on so I think it's a psych so there's a psychiatrist, there's a psychologist, there's a therapist, there's a counselor. Counselors and psychologists are not allowed to prescribe medication. So if you go to them, I is a psychiatrist allowed to prescribe? I think it's psychiatrist is more like... I think so. I think psychiatrist. Yeah. And a therapist or a counselor, like they kind of talk you through things and give you counsel, but they don't but really... But a therapist can pre- yeah, prescribe I... you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's therapists and psychiatrists that, are, that can prescribe, counselors and psychologists cannot. So, but also go to like your regular doctor first. I mean, they tend to like direct you to a psychiatrist or something. But like, if you get blood work done, sometimes it's like a heavy, strong vitamin deficiency. And then again, there are like very specific cases in which like it is, it's a core like genetic issue. And I think those cases are, bipolar disorder and schizophrenia this is me reading my own shit and being obsessed with this kind of stuff this is not me coming from a medical background I just want to reiterate um but there when it comes to like depression and anxiety these things that we just reduce to chemical imbalances which is exactly what he says in the TED talk um and I've had this theory for a while as well um doesn't just like yes there's a chemical imbalance but that where did that come from that maybe you were predisposed to it but like when you're predisposed to something that doesn't necessarily mean that's what's definitely going to happen at the you are in charge of your own life and like I again that is definitely easier said than done but these chemical imbalances normalize themselves after a cyclical way of thinking and behaving and staying in these patterns of doing what's inflating the problem if that makes sense yeah I think it needs to be like definitely prescribed for people who are in the kind of situation where they can't really like function in day-to-day life and whether that means like holding down a job or being in like healthy relationships like if medication is what it takes for someone to be able to do those things I can see it as necessary Um, but if it's like something more mild where it's like caused by like a life event or it's like a symptom of your isolation and you know having a sense of community will kind of become like your antidepressant then I think like it needs Mm -hmm. to be really like yeah yeah exactly what you were saying yeah no I totally agree with that and I think that's like good though to to say that because I don't want to just sound like no medication ever because that's not what I'm saying um but there's it's just like the 
the liberality with how it is prescribed right now is ridiculous. And with with COVID, like there has never been more antidepressants prescribed ever than like right now. And they're they're blaming like COVID, and they're like, well, therapists are so overwhelmed because everyone is feeling like you know horrible, isolated, all this shit. And so they're going to the therapists, and they're very, therapists like popping out antidepressants like candy. And when you're under the age of 22, I, I think it's 22 or 23 for a woman and like later for a man, your brain isn't fully developed. And we, the scientists don't even know the full implications of what these drugs are going to alter in your brain chemistry long-term because there's not enough research on it. It's extremely dangerous. And if a, if someone prescribes you these drugs, which if you go to a doctor, if I went to a doctor right now and I said, I'm having thoughts of suicide, they would immediately be like, suggest, well, do you want me to prescribe you something? I'll prescribe you just a light dose or something like that. And, and then, you know, kind of coax you into it. Like it's, it's become the norm. And I think it's, and I don't even want to blame like therapists and be like, they're all bad people. Cause I don't think they're all bad people. I think this is what is taught in schools and like sometimes we got to question what we're taught in schools like we can't just like we're fucking taught some bullshit about history all the time in this country like you can't just assume everything makes sense without reason like if there's science behind it maybe look a little bit more into that instead of being told well drugs can help in some cases let's just give them to everyone because there are repercussions to everything i'm ranting a lot i'm sorry no i love it there is um the video was it a podcast or i think video that i recently sent about for from a uh, dr mark hyman he's a doctor in functional medicine and he talks a lot about like eating clean and what that looks like today especially because there's all this controversy of what diet to follow and whatnot but he and several other, like the whole like gut health microbiome world has been like erupting lately. And people are like, oh, it's all about like probiotics, prebiotics, all that, blah, blah, blah. But uh, with that research, they found out that something like crazy high, like six, 70, 80% of your serotonin, what keeps your happiness levels intact, I, I want to say that's what it does, comes from your gut. And so if you're... Yeah isn't doing well that's affecting like so much of your mood and he talks about this and he talks about a bunch of other stuff about how um kids are getting overdiagnosed nowadays with add and uh, a lot of it is just because he's like well what do you think is going to happen when you pump them with all this like artificial sugar and then like get give them like five hours of sleep and then send them off to school and to teach subjects that they're not even interested in like obviously they're not going to be paying attention they're not going to be excited and like engaged it's like it's bound to happen like they're not running on anything that's sustainable yeah a lot of your feelings day to day is related to how you treat your body and how like what you choose to put on your fork and the saddest part about all of this stuff is like what you was saying is he said explicitly in a podcast that none of this what i'm talking about right now has ever been taught to me in medical school they just don't talk about it like no nutrition i think it was like an elective for a lot of doctors and like you could just choose to like opt out of it but that's literally like they're taught psychologists like i guess psychiatrists doctors they're taught to fix problems not prevent them like that's why and i was actually talking to my dad about this 
He was saying uh, how America is like doing so great in terms of the vaccine rollout. And we're all like, so we have so many people vaccinated, like Biden had like estimated 200 million. It was like 300 million. Like it's doing great. And I was kind of thinking about this. I'm like, yeah, we are doing really well. And then I'm like, huh, it's funny how we were doing so badly when it came to preventing COVID, when it came to protecting our bodies and not going out and keeping our immunities in check. But then when it came to getting the medicine and like actually getting the shooting all of us up with this like new thing that came out in like seven months, then we were on top of it. Then it's like, oh, America's doing so great with vaccines, but not so great when it came to actually like taking care of the health of its citizens, preventing COVID from happening. It was more of, oh, now that all these people have died, and now that we've finally like figured out all our like medical companies came together and pumped this thing out. Now we're good. It was so reflective of like American culture and not targeting the root, but once it's happened, let's just figure out how to like band-aid. Band-aid it. And again, a band-aid that will make money because Pfizer refused to give India their like yeah. vaccine formula so that they could sell it. Like none of these people who you're supposed to trust with your lives are actually looking out for your best interest. They're looking on how to get your money from you, like, which is the sad truth. Yeah. And on your note of Adderall and children, it is legal in America to prescribe four-year-olds. Four-year-old is like the, the minimum age that you have to be to be prescribed Adderall. That's Adderall is like has the same chemical compound as methamphetamine. It just misses the methyl extension, which just reaches your brain faster. I will link that article as well. I'm not just speaking out of my ass. Oh my god. It's, it's beyond fucked up. So we are giving children meth in America. Like thousands, millions, I don't know, thousands of children. That's why we're all fucked when we get older. Like, why are we shocked? Yeah, and I was like, so many of my students have like an ADHD or ADD diagnosis, but it's also like they're growing up in the age of technology where they can swipe from like TikTok to TikTok and and then if they get bored of that, go to social media and if they get bored of that, like watch watch TV until five in the morning, which is what a lot of them do, and then they sleep all day and like don't want to do work and we're like, oh, they they have this medical issue. It's totally not like a structural problem or a way that we need to like reform our schools you know it's it's not us I don't think I mean yeah yeah and it's like again it's these band-aid solutions that will make industries money that's it and I personally again without a medical degree don't think anyone should be prescribed like these drugs before the age of like 22 or 27 or whatever the fuck your brain is developed because pre that is going to cause you more problems than you're solving with these medications totally because then those children are going to grow up into adults who rely on band-aid solutions and like the cycle of capitalism continues to like feed off of that yes yes and like what people don't understand is like the opioid crisis stemmed from prescription drugs and, like, no one is registering this, like, connection with, like, those other drugs, like, antidepressants, anti-anxiety, ADHD. I don't know what, I'm sure they have an umbrella category, but That's I don't know, man. I'm just. Criminalize it. Listen. Put people in prison for it. Which is. Yes. Okay. Sorry. I was like, we'll keep this to an hour. We did not keep it to an hour. Um, <laughs> okay. To talk about. So, segue. 
Um, Cause yeah, then there's like our own experience with drugs, um, which is like a whole other episode. We could do part two about that, but yeah. I think we should do part two on recreational drugs cause not all drugs are bad. Um, yes, but yeah, real quick. Well, let me do my part of my Reagan rant, which could oh, also yeah. be a whole other episode, but um, so I hate Ronald Reagan from the deepest part of my body. Like, I hate him with every fiber of my being. If I could kill him with my bare hands, again, I would do it. I, although he wasn't murdered. He should have been murdered, but he wasn't. He's be our episode intro. <laughs> Just <laughs> first thing people hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you like Wild Reagan, you can just get the fuck out. I don't care. We don't want you here. <laughs> Goodbye. So anyways, <laughs> he, my man, he started the war on drugs, um, which is one of the many things that he beyond fucked this country with. Um, okay, so real quick, just to like, like set the scene of like how how blatantly fucked black people in America were going to be. Um, the Iran-Contra scandal was this arms dealing that Ronald Reagan had knowledge of and most likely facilitated. There are papers from the Pentagon that confirm this. Again, I'm not speaking from my ass. I will try to link them. So they basically were aware of the smuggling of crack into the lower, the predominantly black locations of LA. The money from this was then sent to the Contras, which are islands fighting communism, to buy weapons from Iran to fight communist dictatorship, whatever. And on a separate note, he also armed and militarized the Mujahideen, which then turned into the Taliban um, to fight the Soviet Union in Pakistan. It's fine. We're fine. Okay. So back to crack being smuggled into the lower parts of LA. Uh, So he was basically making it so only Black people would just have like a ton of drugs. Then was like war on drugs. We're putting a war on drugs. Anyone with drugs or associated drugs is going to prison and then arrested all of those Black people. And that is how the war on drugs started. And it is still perpetuated today in a racist fashion. Continue. Take it away, Shivani. I mean, even yeah. if you just look at, uh, sorry, even if you just look at like COVID cases, like disproportionately African-Americans were affected so much more than any other race in America and yeah like that statistic Shirani you shared about like how like drug use is pretty same between like white people and black people but like black people are put in prison way more like same thing yeah continue yeah like with all things in America it's racialized like including education and healthcare, and even like the reason that you know more black people suffered from COVID infections was because of like the pre-existing conditions that are a result of racism and and the stress of like racism actually creates like stress in your heart and in your like cardiovascular system and that 
causes a lot of issues just in the body. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm going to talk about decriminalization. Um, and I'm talking about that in like a really broad sense. So not just like marijuana, but like all drugs. Um, so that in, instead of people like be, being incarcerated for like drug possession or or dealing drugs, like whatever it is that has to do with drugs, like ideally instead they would be put into like a drug treatment program or re rehabilitation um, to take a more re restorative approach. And, you know, conservatives might argue like, well, there are gonna be way more drugs on the street if we do that. Um, but in reality, that there's like no evidence to prove that that would happen, you know, according to evidence taken from like more weed being legalized um, and in fact, there would be a lot of benefits to our economy, like we would save money, um, we wouldn't be investing millions of dollars into prisons every year, um, like the costs to run a jail and to um, keep that many people in jail. Like I, I sent this statistics to you all, um, but the US has like 5% of the world population and 25% of the world's prison population, which is nuts for like a developed country that like boasts that we're the best country in the world. We have all the best resources, um, but we still think it's a modern day solution to put someone behind bars because they have like a dime bag of whatever in their pocket. Um, and so it, so a lot of resources could be allocated to like helping people recover from addiction um, and to, you know, put like create new opportunities. It would free up law enforcement resources so they could be used in more appropriate ways. Um, like a lot of people were talking about this during like the Black Lives Matter protests that happened um, this past June, that like we need to like take away funding from police and like reallocate it to like mental health workers and basically people who are more like solutions oriented rather than just going back to that like traditionalist mindset of, you know, just keep people locked away and they won't be a threat to society anymore. Um, is actually when we did that tour of the Eastern State Penitentiary in Philly, um, I learned that the reason that we have prisons the way we are today, where we like lock people away and keep them um, in this really isolated cage is because a bunch of like prison reformers or people working in like prison reform in like the 1800s thought that people could benefit from the time to like reflect on themselves um, and consider what they had done. And, and they believed you needed to be in isolation to do that. But that was like fucking 300 years ago and we're still using that model today. Sorry for dropping the F-bomb. I just like could not believe that, you know, like so many of the systems we have in place are just so old. And I think- Just like the medical <laughs> systems we have in place. All of America. Okay, sorry. Opium too. Like opium was declared like safe to use in the me medical industry in like 1813 or something ridiculous like that. It was all tied to like the British actually taking control of India's whole opium supply and- not letting India like sell that supply to anyone else um, and like using that to have a monopoly over the world's like opium supply. So it all, it comes back to colonialism, capitalism, all of it. Which is another episode. Yes. Yeah, well, well, so. 
I feel like this is like the fifth episode that we're like, it all comes back to colonialism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is why fuck the Brits. Exactly. Our parents really like ingrained that into our heads. Like, fuck what the For Brit- good reason. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how, even though they're not like the great empire that controls the whole world, so many of the things they put in place continue to affect us today. Um exactly how i feel about ronald reagan he is literally like the british of america yeah ironically i hope he's listening to this from his grave (laughs) um but anyway going back to the benefits of decriminalizing drugs um so it also like prioritized the health and safety over punishment um And it would also get rid of the stigma that's around drug use, because I feel like the reason a lot of people might not like go to seek help um, or they, you know, won't try to find even like safe needles to use um, is because of like the profound stigma against drugs and how as a society like we are so black and white and how we think about drug use and addiction that you know, we, like I said, we put these people into this category, they did bad, so we don't want to see them. Um, and then there are the good people who don't get addicted to the things. Um, and they literally are just calling it like two different names. And it's okay for one race to do it. Okay. And not okay. For, like, it's literally like branding this, this, so it just appears to be less bad. Like how opioids, in in like the hospital has like some fancy chemical name and then like heroin on the streets exact same thing except medical dose is like totally pure and like honestly way stronger yet it's not seen as bad like you're taking this to like help your chronic back pain like it's fine and you're probably white but like a black person does heroin and they are like scum of the earth yeah I I think this proves like how sheltered I am but I was pretty mind blown to learn that like the heroin you get on the streets is actually like way more diluted than what you'd get at a hospital, which is like pretty fucked up. We're just pumping people up with like the purest grade of this drug we criminalize. It just like doesn't make any sense. And like the only reason I even knew that was because I saw that Kurtzkazak video like four years ago. Otherwise, I didn't know that either. Yeah, that's why it's important to talk about these things that make us uncomfortable because this isn't something I'd ever want to bring up with my parents which like side note but um I was like in Arizona recently and their friends were over um their friends are like white baby boomer kind of conservative like they vote liberal but the way they see the world is pretty like black and white um and they were saying like oh, I'm kind of nervous about like weed getting legalized. Like I'm just worried about what's going to happen because the the husband is a pilot and he was like, oh, now I'm just worried about those pilots like going to, you know, toke it, toke up a little bit like in between flights. And I was like, oh, like I don't want to stir the pot, but um, like so many people are in prison for this. And, and then the wife was like, oh, but would you want your pilot high while he's like flying you internationally it's like no but I don't think those two things are like a direct link you know (laughs) I'd rather have him high on weed than high on prescription medications 
Yes, that he got legally from his doctor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I, I wanted to talk about Portugal. So Portugal actually decriminalized drug possession. And I, I think that's like all drug possession um, in 2001. So like 20 years ago. Um, and more than a decade later. So, so the amount of people using drugs has kind of stayed the same. Um, but all the other things that kind of come with drug use, like in the US, like incarceration, overdosing, um, diseases like HIV, like spread through needles, um, those are like at an all-time low. And Portugal's drug use rates are actually below the European average. Um, and then way lower than like rates of drug use in the US. So I think that's like one example of where the US could be heading. Like if we do like start to decriminalize drugs more um, and have more of like a restorative like rehabilitation approach to um, like helping people who are using instead of putting them in that box. Um, and it's also like decrease the spread of like HIV diagnoses um, because like the stigma is erased. So people are using like cleaner, cleaner supplies, I guess. Um, and yeah, their like overdoses are down, their fatalities are down. So like the evidence and data shows that it, it worked really well for Portugal. And obviously that's like a much smaller country with like a different history and all of that. But I think there, like there are solutions to like the massive amount of people or the mass incarceration that's happening. Um, and I, I just think our whole prison system needs to be like completely revamped and reformed and we're moving at a very slow pace right now. Um, and hopefully decriminalization can, can uh, speed it up or at least like turn it into something that's not so like punitive. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you have, a lot of black people that are in prison for possession from before weed was legalized in certain states yeah. and they're still in prison and they can't not get out of prison for life for just like possession of weed and they're they're all black none of them are white like this is it's like blatant racism and it's like the if the penalty is not that bad now how are they not getting time served? Like, it doesn't even make sense. Like, there, it is, like, such direct, like, racism. And, it, yeah, it's Black people and Hispanics. It's, like, just because also they are suffering, too. So I just, I don't understand. I don't understand. I just, I don't understand. I'm sorry. That was all, that was all I had to say about that. Yeah, like, how can it be so blatant and we're not, like working rapidly to try and reform this? I don't know. I don't, what I really don't understand is like, we will, it's like America will get up in arms about a thing without, as a solution to something without fixing core problems. Like, why aren't we going to like, the supreme court and like trying to make amendments to these things where like it should be national law that if like as state laws adapt to certain things then 
so should like prison sentences or like why aren't we like trying to fix these things instead of just like yelling and hoping someone hears like I don't understand why there's no direction to like like I think it's it's great that you know people are finally voicing their opinions with like BLM and everything but like why is there no direction with it like why can't we get something done I don't know I wish I had the answer to that I don't understand unless the elite is affected nothing's gonna happen like yeah rich because they're making the laws yeah like rich white people need to become the victim of something in order for them to like the world to like light the fire under their ass and be like okay this needs to like this needs to change now like because as for a lot of these things you're talking about it's not the people who are like consider the cream of the crop of society who are getting affected so it's like you can just it's so easy for people to like brush under the bus I mean that happens in like India too all the time if you think about like how there's um, like in the white tiger that girl that was run over the value of her life is considered so much lower than like the people that were driving that car and so it was easy for somebody to just be like oh well, it's fine we'll just silence that up but it's like mm-hmm. the same thing with other parts in America and other areas where it's there's inequality that's like unless the the people who are running the show are getting affected. It's not really going to be like much of, there's not going to be much of like an incentive for change. Yeah. And, and hopefully the way that social media is going where people have used it as a platform to like speak out against, you know, people in power who are like the cream of the crop who everyone respects, like, there's got to be some like rich white dude who is really famous for something and then it comes out that he like donates like millions of dollars to private prisons um and like where i think it's just like people like us who just need to like uncover how these really influential like rich white people are are yeah hold them accountable qualities yeah exactly yeah I think it's just frustrating because like you get these people out of power and then you can make changes until it's like until that you're moving in reverse and you have to first reverse get back to zero and then go forward but uh. yeah I just realized that's like everywhere like that theme because if you think about like what's happening in China with Muslim concentration camps literally exactly like the holocaust is happening all over again over there is anyone doing anything about it no actually more yeah it's like well more more muslims have died already than jews like there you go during the holocaust look at who's the victim it's it's not the cream of the crop so obviously like people aren't feeling there's no fire under the ass (laughs) like that's that's what it takes unless it's like yeah i'm just wow yeah just things like that and it's like it's also politics like it was in our political interest to like help when the holocaust was happening it's not in our political interest to help yeah yeah whatever's going on there yeah that was like in the end of and even like when um they said like as long as we are worth just like a a whale is worth more dead than alive. We will continue killing whales. And just like, as long as we are worth more when we are confused and polarized and scared and insecure, 
the world will always try to get us more to be like that because that's when we're worth the most to like and the American economy so yeah yeah it all really does kind of come back to capitalism yeah well I mean I guess this is happening everywhere to profit to profit the elites because I guess if if capitalism was working at it as it's supposed to work then like you know no one should be ultra rich and monopoly shouldn't exist but alas we have loopholes and the it's really just the elite that control everything everywhere all the time mm-hmm. and what even makes them elite you know fucking now and it's so hard to touch them or to even like cause a ripple in their in their privilege in their life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you're also working when you try to cause a ripple you're like working against like centuries of this kind of mentality because you know it's not like just for the past few 30 40 years like oh actually I think white people are going to be treated better it was like this is how it always was and then and now we're trying to work against the yeah of all this like terrible colonization like it all comes back to but it's like all a result of that and we're basically trying to like go in after that all happened and be like oh no we have to like clean up all these like really racist yeah but it's like while we also are dealing with other shit like global pandemics and like this just wow wow this took a depressing turn (laughs) of events although we probably could have seen that coming yeah Uh, okay there was one thing i did want to say real quick though about like therapists and the profession because i definitely was shitting on them which like to some effect they do need to be shit on a bit uh, but it is a noble profession and i am absolutely not don't want to say like like wow you're a bad person because you're a therapist because that's not true and like i know you're probably just doing what you were taught and like this is the institution of it and like i am more mad at like the medical industry and what they're perpetuating and the lack of research I am not trying to insult therapists, psychiatrists, anyone. Just the institution of it is corrupted and I would like to address that. I also know that is extremely overwhelming. I did volunteer as a crisis text line person. And I know that when someone is telling you that they have like thoughts of suicide, and then from there you go to like, like, you know, ideation, the means to do it, timeline and like, like just these levels of things that they are feeling. And then you you have like a series of things that you then respond with, which I think is good and and like absolutely necessary. Um, it's just the medicating part of it and the lack of like long-term planning that I'm having issues with. Okay, I just wanted to say that. I'm done. Well said, that's a good disclaimer. Yeah, I feel like that's a good note to end on yeah back to drugs (laughs) but next episode part two we'll get into recreational drugs hallucinogens weed all the fun stuff and how great they are because drugs aren't always bad yeah well those drugs (laughs) thanks for coming on this journey with us history and colonization and capitalism and drugs and um mental states and reagan i'm listening to my rants yeah i have more rants if anyone's interested
I love the rants. The next episode on you feel more joyous, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yay. Well, this was I- a riveting adventure. A lot of ups and downs. I, I, I'm sorry. I like dragged it on. I was like, we'll finish this in an hour for sure. And then, it proves nope. your passion. Yes. It's this topic, man. Gets me real riled up. <laughs> <laughs> got out most of what you wanted to say. Yes. I think I hit it all. Cool. <laughs> and then some. Didn't even begin to touch on the Reagan, though. Yeah. All the fucked up stuff he does. That was, that was like, tip of the ice. Tip of the ice. Is he still- We could literally do one entire episode on Ronald Reagan. We can include some links. They're coming out. The rants. But sorry. We can include I just- No, I'm good. <laughs> Oh, say we can include some links. <laughs> the um the Reagan stuff. If you want to read more. Yeah. Oh, like do it later. Or just in the description we can include some links. Yeah. Um Oh yeah. So um they're uh, they're actually coming out with a movie on Ronald Reagan, like glorifying him. And I'm pissed. I saw the ad for that. And I was, my blood was literally boiling. What? That's crazy they would do that because it's, I'm sure it's catering to the Republicans who still think Donald Trump is president. Oh, yeah. I bet. Or even like, then, like, even liberals, like, people don't see Ronald Reagan as bad. Like, the propaganda around him does not view him as a bad person. Yeah, he's... People just don't know. For, like, trickle-down economics, and that that was shitty. But that was Reagan, right? Like, Reaganomics? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was literally just increasing the divide in classes and making the rich richer. Like, that's... It's just... eh. And they convinced people that it was helpful. They convinced... That's against me. That's against... It doesn't even make sense. Like, obviously, you stop taxing the rich... They gonna get fucking richer than the poor people. Like this is common sense. I can't. I can't. You've opened the floodgates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really think that does not make sense, and it's like totally the basis for so many inequalities we have today. Like he really just set us up for what we're dealing with, like forty years later. You know. These are his nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. I really hope that goes on our Instagram reels. Just that clip. <laughs> I won't say who's nuts, just these are his nuts. <laughs> oh man. These nails. I'm playing around. Ooh. You'd be like, listen to the episode to find out who's nuts Chitra's talking about. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> actually pretty funny. <laughs> 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 well this is also being recorded <laughs> oh <laughs> all right shall we bid farewell yes yes keep sending the love keep uh keep up with yes. the souls <laughs>
leave reviews. We love it. All right, if our listeners have any topic suggestions, feel free to send those through. Uh, we're open to new ideas. Yes, we have some. Yes, please reach out, DM on Instagram. We are, we will respond because we don't have that many listeners <laughs> yet. <laughs> what? Growth mindset. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> all right bye. Bye. i love you guys love you guys bye, bye.